G'day, welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Merch, the producer and host of Here is Where People in Music Talk Life, and those in life chat music and more. You're in for a very special treat today. A brand new album is about to be released. We're going to find out about cuts from said album, as well as a bit more about the artiste behind it. Abby Tucker. Screen credits include Heartbreak High, Secret Life of Us, and McLeod's Daughters, to name just three. They've also been a presenter on Play School, as well as both puppeteer and voice of Hootabelle in children's favourite Giggle and Hoot. At the same time, Tucker has been releasing music, from their debut EP in 1994 to numerous albums since. Now comes a brand new full length called Who Do You Really Know? They state the release is an uncompromising look at a woman moving from her 30s to 40s. To find out more, Abby joins us for an extended chat. Abby Tucker, welcome to Radio Notes. Oh, thank you, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Who's the lineup that you've decided to take on board with this album? Julian Kerwin, Hugh Hunter, Dave Symes, Evan on drums, Evan Minnell. There was Simon Ferenczi, Julian D. Thompson and Matt Phil Punch and Jim Hoppy-Smith were the ones that engineered the record. So I was very lucky with the lineup. I'd played with Dave Symes over many moons ago. He was the bass player on Dreamworld and consequently One December Moon, which was the second one. And Julian and I have played together on other projects. I met Julian through his solo music, which is fantastic. We worked on a project called The Falling Seeds together, and that ended up sounding really great. I really love the way he plays guitars. And Stu played on my One December Moon album as well, so I was very lucky to work with some of the people that worked back then. And One December Moon was an Adelaide, South Australian invention and recording. I wrote that album while I was doing McLeod's Daughters, actually, and I was lucky because a couple of the songs turned up at the end of the series. Not only that, it it just had its own kind of flavour to it. So I was very happy with that one. What did you get from working with Phil Punch? Well, Phil is just an astounding music man of all shapes and sizes. We were in the studio and and just the the sounds that he could pull and the way that he sort of worked and just even just his personality is such a, a wonderful person to work with. It actually started, I went into the studio to record children's tracks for my children's project and it just I just wanted to, to get to a point where we'd recorded all the adult tracks as well. So it was weird. It was like a combination of projects at the time. And Phil is extraordinary. You referenced there the children's projects as well. Mm. Was this inspired Mm. from being on Play School or was it the fact that you had two of your own now in the nest? (laughs) You know, I love working on Play School. I just work in, in that world and I was touring a lot with Play School over the years as well, so I've been very lucky. More so, I did a lot of puppeteering as well. I went over to uh, Prague and did some workshops, and I went to America and, and worked just very briefly, but I worked on a project there. It's interesting. I, I feel like the album isn't coming from any particular thing. It just, over years, it's just sort of something that I love to go back to, and writing is one of my things. What is it with particularly Australian singer-songwriters of your quality ending up on children's shows? I, I note that Megan Washington is in a show called Bluey that I haven't had a chance to see yet, but uh, she's oh, in that. that is a fantastic show. <laughs> You've got to see it. It's wonderful. More like I, I feel like music has been my life. I've always done music and I've been really lucky to get the acting roles along the way as well. So they kind of combine and especially with something like Play School, you want to have a singing background because a lot of the songs, that the presenters have to sing songs and just part of the, the course of my life, really. I, I haven't really categorised my life into things. 
much. I just seem to sort of roll with it. Both kids are under five. They'll soon be realising that their mum is famous. How are they taking to your music <laughs> at the moment? I have to say, like, they're, I've got a terribly supportive family and the kids, are, they love, they're a little bit creative in their own, own right and, you know, I've, I've had them on tour with me at play school and I even had, like, I was pregnant with Pepper when I was working on As You Like It and touring with that, which was quite extraordinary as well. They seem to have grown with the whole rolling of where we're going. Poor Boy with Guy Pearce, which is the music of Tim Finn. Tim's amazing. Like, I was very lucky too that Tim wrote a show with Dorothy Porter, which we managed to get up at the Spiegel Tent in the Malthouse Theatre. I feel lucky, yeah. Poor Boy was great. Matt Cameron directed that. That was at the MTC. And then Matt Newton ended up doing it at the STC in Sydney. Working with Guy Pearce was obviously fantastic. But yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> Guest vocals mm-hmm. on Endorphin's AMPM album, which is an outstanding uh, release. Yes. I really enjoyed doing work with him at that period of time around 2003, around and then secret life period, actually, I call it. <laughs> I look at my life in like um, show periods, like when I was working on the secret life of us, I was also doing guest vocals on a lot of different things and traveling a lot too. I was working, the Alpine Stars is another one that they're a Manchester outfit and I was lucky to work on their music. We recorded everything and everybody, their two songs, with the pound system and the Wicked Beat sound system and all that. There was a lot of programming back then, so it was interesting. How were you seeing life at that point? So you were in your early 20-something back then? Mm, Probably late for the Wicked Beat Sound System sort of secret life of us area, yeah. What did you see the future would be at that age when you were doing the secret life of us stage, as you call it? I came back. I, I went over to London and lived in London for a period of time after Heartbreak High. And I scored a development deal with one of the majors and we were working at, you know, we were recording at Air Studios and places like that, which was extraordinary. And then I got wildside in Australia and I was able to come back for that. From there, kept recording and writing and had a partnership in London and then obviously came back. When I was doing The Secret Life of Us, it was a lot of guest vocals and a lot of programming and my vocal styles reflect more where I was at, I think, because I was very quiet and very held back and like it was different style of vocal I wasn't giving it the full belt oh uh, yeah I don't know really that's a hard question <laughs> I, I, I was just in the middle of a change a transition in my life that I can't actually even sort of explain really I note that back then or maybe I'm just naive to it that we had more variety even in our tv series where vocalists got a chance to belt out a tune during tv shows I've been really lucky from Heartbreak High to Secret Life to McLeod's Daughters, you know, all those shows I was able to sing on. You know, I can't believe that I actually got those opportunities because it was such a huge part of my life and I guess I was writing and, and playing at the time. Maybe, you know, that's just where we went with it. I mean, even like, you know, with the film Anks that I did, I, I was able to write for the soundtrack for that. So, you know, it's always been like a hand-in-hand thing for me. I, I can't really sort of speak about what's happening now I don't really know I mean I just think I was just lucky to have those moments where my music met my acting and certainly appreciate those moments there's a very good composer his name's Brett Applin and he did the soundtrack for Surviving Georgia which was a film with Pia Miranda and we got to do a track on that called All That You Love that was a piano vocal track I remember working on it with him and then Brett also kind of heard my tracks and helped me like he laid down some of the piano for the demos so he was building he was helping me build something even while 
we're working on other projects. I have to say I've been so lucky along the way to meet the people off screen as well as on screen that have supported my music or, or helped me by putting something down or it's always been a kind of role, a process. It feels like I've just been writing one long draft of an album or a collection of songs that keep evolving. You don't have to be in the eastern states to achieve a quality record because you, of course, as we mentioned, released your second album in Adelaide. It was written and recorded here. Mm. It was recorded between Sydney and Adelaide, which was quite beautiful. Mick Wordley, he's a fabulous mixer, and the Zephyr String Quartet was on the second album, One to Send the Moon, and they're from Adelaide. And then in Sydney, I worked with the band that I was working with, Megaphone. It was, it was interesting, and I was doing that with Bob Scott. How important has the jazz scene, or more importantly, the improvisational side of that been to your musical creations? Well, I think that, uh, well, I was very lucky with that because my friend Sean Peter, wonderful composer, an incredible influence who I did a show called Suitcase with, he actually helped me by, by doing the, the um, charts for things and you know, so yeah, um, it's like an evolution process, I guess. Because I also look at lineup, the likes of mm. Stu Hunter and the like, you very much have still mm. very much that jazz influence. Not saying it is jazz, though it well could be called that. Interestingly enough, a lot of the songs for this new record I wrote in weird tuning. And when we originally went to record them, the plan was to keep them there, but it didn't work out that way. It's interesting how you start with the original sound, which some of the chords that I was working with didn't quite connect with that standard sound. And I guess that's part of what's created that less sort of standard sound in a lot of places. But then Julian, for example, he put all the the guitar tunings and he played them in in standard because that worked out better. Do you feel that maybe live down the track you would revive some of those sounds throughout a set? Demos after demos after demos. (laughs) They're clogging up my hard drive, you know, like... I feel extremely lucky to have had the freedom to create something and then have the ability to work with such amazing musicians. And I guess there is a sense of trying to keep that original tuning sound because there's something about it that's unique. You know, there was a couple of tracks that I really had earmarked as songs that I wanted to have on this album that never made it because they just sounded different. They just didn't sound as was the thought that they might have sounded. We ended up like scrapping them in the studio, but I think the songs that we ended up playing on the album are, are really strong. They're their own collection and they reflect parts of my life going through so many different stages and drafts. It's quite extraordinary to see them as one project in a concrete form because to be perfectly honest with you, this, this album could have gone on forever. We're currently in conversation with Abby Tucker. This brand new album she speaks of is called Who Do You Really Know? It'll be launched on the 30th of January at the Foundry 616 in Ultimo. That's in New South Wales, Australia. Abby, let's head to the record and let's start with the single, track number three of the album, What the Future Holds. Is there a sense Mm -hmm. of optimism you're seeking from this record that you've said just there could have gone on and on in terms of the number (laughs) of stories you could have shared? Yeah, there is optimism. I think there's a whole gamut of emotion in the record. Self-reflection is one of the hardest things when you're a woman, you know, going from your 30s to your 40s, as well as everybody else around us is going through something at the same time. And I think, you know, you collect these thoughts and you collect these experiences and you try and write about them and you put them into something. And what the future holds especially is actually about a fight that I had with my partner. (laughs) But we resolved it. So I guess that's optimistic, right? 
it's a pretty hard-edged song, and I'm pleased that he actually rolled up in the video, and we, you know, the ending is is pleasant. <laughs> You mentioned women turning from their 30s to their 40s. Let's go back. Mm. Do you remember the 20s to the 30s? Oh, God, yes. I remember it all. (laughs) It's a strange time because I guess just every year something changes. I feel like musically I've changed so much over my life. And it's interesting too because when I was on the clouds, a lot of the tunes were more acoustic-y driven stuff. It felt, felt more open, free or something else. Secret Life of Us, they were much more beatsy and I think my vocals were very held back and they represent a time in my life. I certainly want to keep exploring so many different things and too many different like aspects of my life, you know, and I think that it's important that art is really honoured. If you have an idea and you, you want to follow it, you definitely should be encouraged to bring art forward. I had a conversation recently with Mia Dyson of the Dyson Stringer Club and one of the points that Mia was bringing up is that of the storytelling and the voices of older women are not being mm-hmm. heard, but that is changing. What's your view on that as someone who's currently in that position with a record just about to be released to the world? I'll tell you when we've released it. <laughs> I'll tell you how it went because I have a voice. I'm older now and I feel like I'm more experienced in my thoughts of who I am. And I guess, yeah, I just, I'll just wait and see how it's taken. The idea of friendship, how vital mm-hmm. is it and how do you hold on to them? Well, I think friendship for me is extremely important. There's a track on the, the album called Friends for Life. Especially if you travel a lot, if you're in a job that is contracted or it's just something that moves from job to job, you do need to really find friendship and maintain them. I'm not one to... Like, I mean, if someone doesn't ring me for two years and, and then they ring me, I just cherish that, you know, and that one moment might just be a 30-minute chat or something. But I do believe that friendships are vital for people's, you know, soul. You're not huge on the social media. You are on some of them. But has mm. that taken away that idea of that beautiful essence that you're talking about right there from hearing from someone mm. from 30 minutes every couple of years actually is okay mm. to now if you don't hear from them every two hours, there's something wrong? I think that there's a difference between someone really penetrating your thoughts and your heart when you see them or you hear from them and you actually have a very personal conversation with them. I think I love, you know, that actually social media, it's interesting how it has put me in in touch with a lot of people I hadn't spoken to or seen for ages. And, And it's when you actually do get the chance to have the personal touch that makes it even more worthwhile. I mean, I really, I value it for for different reasons. But the friendship thing, as far as being able to relate to a friend and sit down with a friend or even just chat to a friend, it's, it's a necessity. The track Best Friend, which is off the album, I get a feeling that's mm-hmm. a friend based in the US. Uh, well, it's just uh, another time in my life. Yes, that's probably as far as I want to go with that. <laughs> you know, acknowledging friendship is really important to me. So whether it's something that moves on and you change, and it's reflected in a song. So songs and, and film are so permanent. That's where it remains. But feelings change all the time. I'm just glad that I have had good experiences with those friendships. How much of an open diary is the record, Who Do You Really Know? Uh, a lot of it's reflection, but it's also speaking about a character. So there's uh, sort of other characters in there. might come from a story idea or something that's sort of featured in there. Um, you know, I started something years ago called Vanity Wars, which is 
based around characters. But I mean, you know, some of them turn up as puppets. <laughs> it's like, so it's like history and there's fact in fiction. And that's, I think that's everybody's life. So it probably is real. <laughs> Let's ask the question, though, about the puppets. How much do they give mm-hmm. you a chance to be creative in your experience of life? My love of puppetry is in watching the masters do it and having a little bit of experience. I wouldn't say I'm a, a like I've got a lot of experience, but I've got enough to know how masterful some of those people. Like I've been to Prague a few times and seen the Foreman Brothers. There's some beautiful puppetry out there. Mirek and Mirek Trechner, he does puppet workshops in Prague and people just have so much to offer and, and they're such expressive characters, puppets a beautiful way of working I think. Has it inspired your own storytelling through song? There's almost like a surreal feel to the image of a puppet you know and the way that it moves and the slowness there's something about the beauty in that and um, yeah I've I've, I've really certainly uh, loved um, you know the idea of puppetry It's, it's such a great thing. I'm always intrigued about the spatial awareness of puppets as well, and I guess that's got to do with the mm. slowness and the limitus of it as well. Mm. There's a time and a place for a puppet to shine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and even in children's theatre and stuff like that, puppetry is such an expressive form and can say so much. It sort of like reflects the person's thoughts and mind, like the way that they're thinking, but really you're saying it through another element of yourself or something that you're manoeuvring or manipulating. It's a great storytelling tool, I think. Let's dive back into the album. Who Do You Really Know is the title track from the album. Was it easy Mm -hmm. to decide to have that as the title track? I guess, but I mean, it's about not really knowing, you know, if you catch up and really know yourself, then you're not really going to explore other elements of yourself. I mean, I just think there's always something to find out about yourself. And and that's why I called it that, because it's there's always a new um, interest you might undertake, you know, new passions. It's like I find that really exciting. Cannonball. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess of the way we self-criticise, you know, and, and I was trying to claw my way out of a bad moment. <laughs> Just sort of thinking about the past of some moments where you've made some, some decisions. The sort of positive thinking, like bringing yourself to a better place with, with where you're at. That's, that's where Cannonball came from. How do you conjure positive thinking in your life, Abby? Vocally, melodically. Yeah, melodically or a good friend and a cup of tea or whatever, you know. I think it it comes and goes. I think that's everyone, isn't it? Why Shouldn't We, which is uh, track number two off the album. That's also about sort of finding, you know, like questioning what you're looking for and feeling there's a brightness there and looking for that brightness. And wanting that brightness and why shouldn't we have that in our lives, the positive connection or the feeling or the experience? Like if you feel like you haven't experienced something enough, like go on then, go and experience it. What's the blockage that people just don't go and follow that dream or or try to find the colour when the colour is clearly there? I just never have been able to speak for other people. Like I just feel, I feel lucky that I've done some pretty sort of, risky things to take my career places there's always this thing of like oh come on like just enjoy the experience but it's not always an enjoyable experience it's like it's a have to do it sort of thing like I I love creating it's something within me it's like it it is what actually keeps me going um apart from my family obviously and friends and a lot of other things but career-wise 
or personally, what makes me sort of feel like I'm okay inside is to pursue something of purpose or meaning to me. And I feel that that's something that we could all connect with is, is the purpose or meaning within ourselves, you know? Some say with no risk, there's no reward. Is, is that the statement mm-hmm. that you would take on board? And further to that, what of those that you can share have been some of the biggest risks that you think you've taken over the last few decades? I've always sort of pushed the music thing, always sort of gone for the music and loved it. And the reward is in the actual making of it and creating it and bringing it to fruition with great, great musicians. There's a great reward in that. That's the reward I talk about. And the risk is that you're not just sort of thinking about the future, like, you know, as a working person in, in the world. You know, you're, you're sort of putting yourself out there as an artist always. And that's kind of what I've been doing. I've pursued the art so much <laughs> that I'm here now and releasing another record and going, oh, my gosh, now it's actually happening. And the creativity of that is all gone. Like, it's now there. It's a finished thing. You know, so now I have to find the creativity in the live thing or pursuing another song or, you know, so there's always that. And, and coming to the end of something is a risk. Do you class music as your number one drive as an artist? Music is with me most of the time. That's the thing that I've found my companion in. And that sounds weird. <laughs> it's not really weird. It's just that if you're working on a song, if you're working on lyrics, you've got something going on. I think it's like if you're an artist, there's so many different colours on your palette. It just keeps you up there and focused on the beauty. Like there's so much beauty around it. And it's nice to have a friendship with that beauty and a connection. TV and theatre gigs can be a little far between sometimes, sometimes a little mm-hmm. rare. Is it the case yeah. then that music is something that you can own, that it's something that you can produce at the whim for which you wish? I don't want to use it as that kind of tool. I, I think it's more than it's, – it's something that is – it's precious. It's a rare thing to have a connection. If you can harness that connection or, or really grow that connection, I think that everyone should have a, a creative impulse or a creative idea that they're nurturing. I find I get a glimmer of light when I've got something that's brewing creatively in my head. When did you first write a song? What was it that Abby, uh, I guess maybe a teenage year, maybe it was in your 20s, went, I can write a song? I was really lucky to start in a band called Jats and the Crackers when I was, you know, 14 and we used to rehearse in the carpet warehouse, you know, <laughs> and it was a rock band, you know. So, I mean, my, my sort of influences when I, when I was not really little, I mean, I was always doing little bits and pieces. Even then, I was working with great musicians, you know, that played in this band and We'd play at the school concerts and stuff. So that all started somewhere. Where are Jets and the Crackers these days? <laughs> oh, you know, I think they're all over the place. <laughs> That's what it is. And then also, you know, musical theatre when I was, I started acting when I was nine in the youth musical theatres. And I think they were really great. Uh, they had a profound impact on my life because back then also, like, m- microphones weren't as, you know, important. So you, you had to project your voice from the back of the room. That, to me, is a really great lesson learned. In terms of music you're listening to right now, apart from The Wiggles, what are those <laughs> tunes that are currently getting a play? I like all sorts of music. My partner's got a great taste in music. He's got uh, lots of different styles of, you know, and, and I mean, you know, I love the Tom Waits and the Nick Caves. I've got such a massive 
library of music around me. It's also friends that are playing in bands or, or making music. Liz Martin's one of them. She's brilliant. And a couple of friends that you, you might see their band every so often. I do love music, live music especially. I really loved seeing Kurt Vile. I saw Henmore Theatre. That was a great gig. I just loved it. Let's take another track off the record. No Goodbyes especially is, is my favourite. Actually, that was an interesting track to write because I wrote that when I was in Melbourne when I was doing Poor Boy and I was actually doing that while on the Melbourne Theatre Company um, show. That was an experience. The chorus itself was something that, that came along and I mean, you know, it was just, um, we didn't produce it much. We just left it very simple, which is interesting. What do you get from Travel Abbey? Life experience. Even touring with Play School was fabulous because it was like always different experiences and going to different towns, seeing the world, it just makes a real thing for me. And I want the kids to experience it as well. Long haul flights we haven't tried yet with the girls, so we'll see how it goes. This album is about a woman turning from their 30s to their 40s. When you look Mm -hmm. at kids that that you have, Mm -hmm. your children, what do you see their future to be like? I just want to give them as much optimism and as much grounding as possible. I want them to feel like they have the the tools that they need to go forth and find themselves. That sounds so daggy, but it's true. I mean, you know, I, I don't want them to do anything that I want them to do in terms of career choices or anything. I, I just want them to see some optimism and have their feet on the ground. Where do you write the songs? Well, work on Pro Tools, basically. I mean, I started off on Cubase 155,000 years ago. Um, but yeah, I literally, before the kids came along, travelled the world with just a small setup and worked as I went. And I would spend hours in that space working and working and that's where I got my pleasure and my, my love, you know. It's like met amazing people, just an experience. I've got a new keyboard that I've just ended up getting and I've sort of plonked some ideas down. But, I mean, you know, you've got players like Stu Hunter who play piano and such beautiful piano and Julian with the guitar and stuff like that. I'm going to work with them as well and co-write some more tracks to get back into that, that headspace. So I feel like something's to come in. Are you a tactile singer-songwriter, a.k.a. a moleskin or a, a notebook, or are you more of a, a keyboard kind of songwriter? A bit of both, I think. I sort of used to always have a book and a notebook. At the moment, it's more a diary because I'm trying to keep meetings and schedules happening, and, but uh, I've always got my notebook on side. Yeah, it's, it's all sorts of ways of writing. I love my computer. There's so many hard drives, you know, that are building up with ideas and stuff like that, that it's probably time I stopped and just cleaned things off before I started again. In wrapping up, the album is about identity. It's about understanding. It's about, as we've mentioned, a woman going from their 30s to 40. Where do you see this album being listened to? I think people may enjoy it if they have, like, they're strong visual people. I mean, I, I, that sounds weird, but, like, I mean, you know, I often listen to songs and I imagine an experience. It's more story than not, I guess. Like, I mean, I just imagine it for people who just hang out and listen to music. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. That's, that's one of those, those questions, isn't it? It's like, what genre is it? Well, it's, it's really, that's the question. I mean, I guess it would suit, uh, maybe, maybe suit some women in my, my age, you know? Maybe it'll suit men. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. I'll leave it up to you to decide that. (laughs) 
I'm going to recommend a very, very dark forest with some candlelight, but that's just me. Um, (laughs) Abby Tucker, when this chat's released, you'll be less than a fortnight away from your 47th birthday. Happy birthday for then. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Any big plans for it apart from doing a Corker live show the week after? No, I just think that the girls might sing me a happy birthday and I'll just settle for that. That's fine. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to you. I really appreciate the chat. Abby Tucker. Who Do You Really Know? Released 30th of January 2020. More details at abbytucker.com.au. Next time, Keenan Box from Augie March as well as the Black Eyed Susans will be our special guest. Thanks for listening in this episode and a very special thanks to our feature guest, Abby Tucker. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 